Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Just so you guys know, in this culture, it's always going to be tough to be a widow. But in this culture, even more so because typically men were the breadwinners. If your husband died, you wasn't going to make it. You were going to be in a position as a woman with children where you're dependent upon society to take care of you. But now she's in a foreign land. She's not even at home where her people are at. She's not in, you know, in Bethlehem, Judah, where they're like, hey, you know, Naomi's husband, now let's help her out, you guys. She's over in Moab. She's a foreigner over here. These are not her people. She's over there as a widower. So she's in a bad situation. While ultimately a story of hope and redemption, the book of Ruth starts off with tragedy. As Pastor Bill explains today, the book begins with events that lead to the death of Naomi's husband, leaving her a widow. Her two sons go on to marry, but eventually both sons die as well, and she is left with no one. Furthermore, she is living in a foreign land at the time when widows were absolutely dependent on their community. Naomi is helpless and heartbroken, but in that pain, God creates a beautiful story. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Ruth chapter 1 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Fathers, we begin our study through the book of Ruth today. Lord, I ask that you would just prepare our hearts, Lord. I know that that's it's a great book. Uh, Lord, lots of lessons, lots of amazing and interesting things that you want to speak to us about. God, I know that your word is living and powerful. And I do pray, God, that we wouldn't just study the history and what happened in these people's lives. God, I pray that your word would be life to us, Lord, that it would be food for our souls, that we would receive that which you have for each one of us today. So, God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying. God, give us minds that are able to comprehend and focus on what you're saying. And Father, I pray that every time that we come before you in this way, that we would hear from you and God, our lives would be transformed. We'd be continuing to be transformed into your image more and more. And so, God, be glorified in this time. Speak to us through your word. We ask these things in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, the book of Ruth is a, it's a small book, just a little four chapter book. It's right after the book of Judges and it's written around the same time frame. So what characterized the time of the Judges? What characterized that era in history? What were people like during the time of the Judges? Every man did what? Every man did what was right in his own eyes. There was no king. There was no real leadership. And so it was an era of time where it was kind of chaotic. Everybody just did whatever they felt like doing, whatever seemed right in their own eyes. That's what they did. So we're kind of piggybacking on that time. Now, we're going to see in the very beginning of this book that there's going to be a famine that they enter into. And we'll look at that when we get to it. But probably the cause for the famine was the fact that people were living that way. That was one of the things that God had promised Israel, that when they obeyed him and walked with him, that he would water the land and cause things to flourish. But when they did not, that there would be ramifications that God would punish them in one way. And that time that God would punish is to remove, you know, he just would remove his blessing. There wouldn't be water for the plants and whatnot. So let's look at Ruth chapter one, verse one says this says, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. A certain man of Bethlehem, Judah went to dwell in the country of Moab. He and his wife, and his two sons. And so kind of the opening scene is the time of the judges, like I told you guys. So it's chaotic. 
People are doing whatever's right in their own eyes. The judges ruled. The judges were people that God had raised up to kind of lead and give judgment for a period of time. And, you know, we just went through the whole book of Judges. They weren't all great either. They didn't all do a good job, but it's this era of time. And it says, then there was a famine in the land. And there was a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah. If you're writing notes, I want you to write. I'm going to give some definitions of words and they do kind of mean something. They are kind of important to the story. So if you're a note taker, I'd like you to write them down. And maybe later on, you can go and write them in your Bible. So you'll remember what you learned through the book of Ruth. The word Bethlehem means house of bread. So he's from Bethlehem, Judah. The word Judah means praise. So if you think about it, they're in a place called Bethlehem, Judah, house of bread, a place of praise. And they're going to leave Bethlehem, Judah, and go and dwell in a country of Moab. And this guy is he and his wife, and he has two sons. For you guys that don't know, Moab is, uh, at this time, a cursed people. They were not believers. The Moabites were not people of God. In the Psalms, when it referred to Moab, if you write notes, you can write down Psalms 108, verse 9. It called Moab a wash pot, which if you look that up in the Hebrew, it's a toilet bowl. And so... They're leaving house of bread, place of praise to go down to toilet bowl, to go down to a place that's cursed of God, that's desolate. They're leaving. And the reason they're leaving is because there's a famine in the land where they are right now. So I got a few questions I want to throw out, things I want you to think about. This is what I had titled even the study through the book of Ruth. As I keep reading through it, these are the themes I see through the book. There be very clearly the theme of redemption. We're going to see that as we go through the book. We're going to learn about relationships. A marriage relationships, single people relationships, even friendship relationships. We're going to see that as we go through this book. And then we're going to learn about revival. How does revival happen? Where does it begin? You know, just cheat sheet it. It begins in the hearts of individuals first and foremost. But we'll see about redemption, relationships, revival. And I'm sure there's even more than that. But I got all my R's to go with Ruth. So that's what I'm rolling with. So there's a famine right now. And if you're writing notes, hope you all are. Write down Deuteronomy 11, 10 through 17. And I want to just explain why they would be having a famine and what they should do in a time of famine. In Deuteronomy 11, I'm going to read verses 10 through 17 to you guys. If you want to flip backwards a few books, you can read along with me. But Deuteronomy chapter 11, starting at verse 10, it says, For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rains of heaven. So God says, when you guys, the land that I'm taking you guys into, it won't be like Egypt where you go water by hand, where you guys are going, I'm going to water the land. The rain is going to come down from heaven to make sure that you guys have what you need. Verse 12 says, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, so this is contingent upon this. If you earnestly obey my commandments, which I have commanded you today to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you rain for your land in its season, the early and the latter rain that you may gather in your grain, your new wine, your oil. And I will send grass to your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. So God said, if y'all obey me. I'll make sure you have everything you need. This is my deal. You just work about obeying me. I'll make sure that all that you need is taken care of. Does that sound familiar? Is there any New Testament verse that sounds like that? You guys, you just obey me and I'll make sure everything else is taken care of. Anybody think of a verse that sounds like that? All right. Matthew 6, 33, right? Seek first 
the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things be added to you. So he says that now he says in verse 16 and 17, he says, take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Least the Lord's anger be aroused against you and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain and the land yield no produce and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord your God has given you. So God says, look, you will worry about obeying me. I will water the land. Y'all will have everything you need. If you don't obey me, take heed that you don't start worshiping other gods. Because if you do that, God says, I'll shut up heaven. I'll quit raining. I'll quit watering the crops. Y'all will be broke. There'll be famine. So as we're in a time in Israel's history where they're living like that, they're not honoring God. They're not obeying him. They're, every man's doing whatever seems right in his own eyes. It's not a shock that, all right, there's a famine. There's a famine in the land. So I brought that up for a reason because this guy is a husband. He's got a wife. He's got two sons. He's living in the land of Bethlehem, Judah, famines in the land. And he says, this is how we're going to deal with famine. We're leaving. But I think there was a better option. I think there was another way that he could have led. If God says the reason you're having a famine is because there's rebellion and disobedience, then I don't think leaving was the right call. I don't think complaining would be the right call. I think repenting would be the call. I need to repent. You need to turn back to the Lord and ask him to intervene and turn back and look to the Lord. So I thought about a few things in this because every man here that's blessed to have a wife. And if you're blessed beyond a wife to have children, God has made you a man that's in a position of leadership. You do have a role of leadership in the lives of our families. And so as men, we don't want to make bad calls. We don't want to make the wrong calls. If they're following you where you go, you want to do the right thing. You want to make the right call because this guy leads his family in a way that's going to cost them dearly. And so I challenge every man here to consider that. Pray about everything that we do with our families. Pray about every decision that's being made. Make sure you know how to get a word from the Lord that you might give instruction and direction to your wife and to your children of what you guys are going to do. But it says that he and his wife and his two sons, he took them all down to Moab. Look at verse two. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. So I got to give you all the definitions to the names because they're kind of cool. They're important. And when they named their kids back here, it kind of meant something. Today, you have a kid and you just name them whatever you want. You know, that look like a joke. You know, we just name them whatever. But back then, they named their kids. A lot of times it would be something based on what they look like. Sometimes it was prophetic. You know, the Lord lay on their heart to name their kids something and that something to do with his call. Sometimes God told them you're going to call him this. His name is going to be Samson. You're going to call his name, you know, Jesus and so, so forth. And so let's look at the names real quick. Elimelech, this is the husband. His name means my God is king. Elimelech's name means my God is king. Then there's Naomi. Her name means pleasant one. Pleasant. It's a nice name for a lady. <laughs> Naomi. So, so Malon, the two sons that they had, his name means sickly. So I don't know what he looked like when he came out. But they said, let's call him sickly. That's what he looked like. He says sickly. And then that's not the worst. Chilion, his name means, it means pining, which when you look it up, it means mental or physical decline. So these two sons were not in good shape. We got sickly 
and mental or physical decline. That's what they named these kids. You got they named their kids based on some characteristic when they came out. Esau, he Harry. Jacob, heel catcher. You know, he was catching his brother heel on the way out. These they must not have been healthy or something may have been wrong. That'll be important later on. Nonetheless, you got God is my king. My God is king. You got pleasant and you got these two sons and they're all getting ready to head down. And this is what I was thinking about because everything's going to go wrong when they get to Moab. We're going to see in just a minute. But I'm looking at the wife first. And what's a wife's, you know, attitude of heart supposed to be towards her husband biblically? A wife is supposed to submit to her husband. That's not popular idea today, but it's a biblical idea and it still works today. A wife is supposed to be submissive to her husband, right? Children, right? We got two sons here. Children, what's their attitude? I need high schoolers to tell me this. What's a child's attitude of heart to be to their parent, biblically speaking? So a child is to obey and honor their parents, right? So those are the attitudes. That's what the Bible teaches. Wives, submit to your husband. Children, be obedient and honor your parents, honor your father and mother, that your days may be long. These are commandments that God has given out. Is there a point at which a wife would not submit to her husband? Is there a point at which a child would not obey a parent? And if so, when is when would a wife not submit to her husband? When he get on your nerves, not the right answer. When would a wife not submit to her husband? So if your husband says, hey, let's just let's go get drunk, girl. You know what I'm saying? I feel like getting drunk with you. That's when you can say, no, babe, I'm going to submit to the higher authority, which is the Lord. The one told me to submit to you, told me don't be getting drunk. You submit to the higher authority in that case. You know, child, you know, when do you not obey your parent? Children. When would a child not obey? Not when they say do your chores. Not not when it's right? when would you not obey a parent? Same thing. So if you're a parent of a mom would say, Johnny, I want you to go sell that crack for me, boy. That's when you say, no, mom, no, mom, I honor God. I would not do that. That's when you submit to the higher authority. You wouldn't do it. So so as I'm reading the story, I'm thinking like God said they, they were supposed to go to Moab. They're going so far away from God's people. They're going into pagan territory to escape the famine instead of turning to the Lord. And I look at this and I wonder if pleasant, if now maybe she was too pleasant. Maybe she was too pleasant to say, honey, could you pray? Could you ask God where we should go before you pack us all up? Maybe she was too pleasant. I don't know. I wonder as I read it, you know, should she have said something? I don't know that she didn't or did. It doesn't say it in the story. I look at the sons and I wonder if they could have said something. Wish the dad, I wish it said somewhere, dad praying. Let me let God is my king that he sought God, but it doesn't say that. It just says he saw the famine. He said, let's go, family. And he packed everybody up and he took off. So one thing I would challenge us to just consider in our own lives, because this decision right here is going to have a long term impact. And every single day you make decisions. I make decisions. And some of us make decisions that not only affect us, but they affect those underneath us, those that are following our lead. So we want to be careful about the decisions that we make. At the bare minimum, you want to pray about the decisions that you make. It's not always God's will for you to get out of a bad situation. Some of y'all are in bad situations and your knee jerk response is, I'm leaving. That's not God's will all the time. If God didn't say leave, maybe God's going to do something in that bad situation and you're going to leave and God's going to have to recreate it when you leave somewhere else. And some of y'all maybe have that's a pattern of your life where you just leave and leave and leave and leave. And it just keeps happening again. Maybe this time you just anchor down 
and say, God, what would you have me to do in this situation? Let me get the lesson so we can stop. This test is, is wearing me out. So maybe it's not God's will for you to leave. You only can know if you seek him. And so sometimes there's things that God is wanting to show us. This famine, many times as God would allow this, it would break them. They would eventually cry out, God, I'm sorry. We repent. And then God said, that's great. That's what I wanted. I want y'all to be right back with me. So leaving wasn't what he wanted. He wanted them to turn back to him. But instead, Elimelech, whose name means God is my king, wasn't living like God was his king as he turned. And he took his whole family away from the people of God, away from the place of God, away from house of bread and praise, took him down to the toilet bowl, to Moab. And so we want to be so careful about how we lead and how we direct. And then if you're in a position where you need to be submissive to someone, you want to be submissive in a biblical way. But if you realize, man, this is not right. This doesn't line up with the word of God. It's okay to say something. I think my wife is very, my wife does a great job at submitting. You know, I don't walk all over her. If y'all know my wife, I don't walk into my house, kicking the door and say, where's my chicken? You know, it's not like that. I don't bark orders or commands at her. She, but she does very good in the biblical sense of submitting to spiritual leadership. She rolls with what we're doing. There have been times where she rightly did not submit, but she was like, did you pray about that? Just want to know if you prayed about it. That's, that's an okay question. That's not, not, that's not being rebellious. That's not unsubmitted. There was a time when she did that and I hadn't prayed. So she was right to ask me, you know, have you, did you pray about that? You get that from the Lord. You say you got it from God. I'm going to roll with you. Cause then if it blows up in your face, you in trouble, you know, but that's an okay question to say, Hey, can we pray? That, that's a big deal. What are you about to do? So if you're in a submitted position, that's okay. Even for a kid. Now, this is what I'm not suggesting. I'm not suggesting kids put their foot down. And, you know, stick out their chest and, and I'm going to tell my dad, you know, not suggesting you do that, you know, be visiting you at the hospital. I'm not suggesting that we be rebellious or disrespectful, but even for a kid, if you realize, man, things are veering in a direction that's not, and you know the word, in, in the most humble, meek, respectable way, it, it would be okay to say, dad, mom, the Bible says this and we're doing that. How come? And just, I mean, present it, you know, speak up, say something. So this whole family mows down to Moab. Again, everything is going to really kind of fall apart for them there. And I thought of these three things before I move on, just characteristics. And I wonder if there are people here that might relate to one of them. So one, are you like Elimelech, man whose name means God is my king, but you're not living up to your name or your title, husband, dad or whatever. Are you that kind of person? Are you a guy like Elimelech? I got a title that says I'm this. My name says that I'm this, but I'm not. I'm not living up to my name, my title, my calling. Everybody can evaluate themselves. Are you a Naomi? Her name meant pleasant one. Are you someone that's just kind of going with the flow, being pleasant? You know, it's not right. You don't feel good about it. It just doesn't kind of rub you right. But you just don't like to make waves or ruffle feathers. So you're just going along with whatever. Are you too pleasant? Are you a pleasant one? And again, pleasant is a nice thing. I'm not trying to knock that. If you're a woman and you're pleasant, be pleasant. But just don't be pleasant to a hurt, to a fault. Are you just too, are you pleasant and you wouldn't say nothing even if, you know, they bring in drugs in your house and you just, well, well, don't, just don't smoke it in here. You do it in the backyard. You know, you, are you just being pleasant, just letting things go all in front of your face? Third, are you like these two sons, Malon and Chilion? Are you just going along with poor leadership over you? They had poor parental leadership. Nobody was seeking God on their behalf and they, they went along with it too. Are you like that? Just kind of rolling with it, not having anything to say. Maybe not even opposing it in your heart. Maybe you're okay with the idea. Are you that? If so, any one of these three things, I challenge you to consider it. 
it doesn't go well for these guys. So look at now verse three. It says, then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. She was left and her two sons. Doesn't tell us how he died or why he died, but he got his family way down to Moab and then he died. He led them there and got them away from the people of God, the place of God, got them down into the world in Moab. Then he died. And now Naomi's left a widow with two sons to raise in this culture. And so just so you guys know, in this culture, it's always going to be tough to be a widow. But in this culture, even more so, because typically men were the breadwinners. If your husband died, you wasn't going to make it. You were going to be in a position as a woman with children where you're dependent upon society to take care of you. But now she's in a foreign land. She's not even at home where her people are at. She's not in, you know, in Bethlehem, Judah, where they're like, hey, you know, Naomi's husband. Now, let's help her out, you guys. She's over in Moab. She's a foreigner over here. These are not her people. She's over there as a widower. So she's in a bad situation. But she got two sons saving grace. But let's look at what they do now. So she has her two sons. Verse four. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah. That means youthful. And the name of the other was Ruth. And the name of Ruth means friendship. And that's the name of this book, the book of Ruth. Her name means friendship. And they dwelt there about 10 years. And so now we got another problem. The sons are down in Moab. You know, they're of age, obviously. And they're like, ain't, ain't, ain't no believing women over here, but we need wives. And so they start looking around at the women and they're like, they both picked them a little Moabite. They got, you know, youthful and friendship and they married them. Now, I'm just for a moment. want to talk to my single people. Are you singles? Probably the I won't say the biggest, but one challenge for single people today, just as I talk to people that are waiting on God to bring them someone. There are times is a complaint from people that they're not enough. You know, I'm waiting on a Christian girl, but I don't see him waiting on a good Christian guy. But I don't see none right now. So I'm gonna go get me one of them <laughs> over there at the club or <laughs> whatever, wherever you got to go get him at. But and I just, just would throw this out there to you. This is not going to go well for them either. It will always be better to wait on the Lord for what he's going to do. Even if it seems like God's taking a long time to bring it to pass. If you're single and you're waiting on the Lord, single in the sense that you're unmarried. Some people have a boyfriend or girlfriend for a long time and they think they're not single. You're single in the biblical sense. You're unattached. You're unmarried. God doesn't recognize your relationship. You're single. So if you're unmarried, you're single. And God's will is that single Christian people would wait on the Lord to marry other single Christian people. If you're writing notes, you can write down second Corinthians, second Corinthians, chapter six, verses 14 through 18. I'll read it to you real quick. It says this it says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness. What communion has light with darkness and what accord has Christ with Bilal? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? Those are all rhetorical questions. The answer is nothing. What does Christ and Satan have in common? Nothing. What does light and darkness have in common? Nothing. What does a believer and a non-believer have in common? Nothing, God's saying. So he said, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And in verse 16, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? None. For you are the temple of the living God. He reminds him here, you are, if you're a Christian, God lives in you. You are the temple of the living God. That word temple is the same word used in the Old Testament for the Holy of Holies, the place where the actual, the Shekinah glory, the presence of God dwelt. God said, that's what you are now. You're where I reside. I live in you. You are the temple of the living God. 
And so God says, look, you're where I live at now. You're not to be coming together with unbelievers and linking up. And then he says this. For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, he says, I will dwell in them and I will walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. We all know the story of Ruth. She and Orpah were daughters-in-law of Naomi. When all three of their husbands died, the grief-stricken Naomi decides to return to her homeland of Israel and her daughters-in-law were set to go with her. When she told them to stay, Orpah did. But Ruth refused, faithfully following her mother-in-law to a new land. Each woman made their choice, but one choice led to obscurity and the other to honor and a place in the genealogy of the king. But the thing is, no one would have blamed Orpah for remaining in her homeland. She was a young woman who had recently been widowed, and to go with Naomi would mean giving up her culture and her home, a move that would have added immense stress and strain to her grief. Take a look at your life. You might be struggling with grief yourself right now. No one will blame you for taking all the time you need. But is there an opportunity in front of you to say yes? Is there an opportunity to be faithful to someone or something outside yourself? You can hold back and play it safe, or you could reach for something greater. We love going through the book of Ruth with you here on A Transforming Word. Join us in person at 9 or 11 every Sunday at Calvary Chapel Inglewood, or online on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook Live. Head over to our website at calvaryinglewood.org for more messages, information on how to support this ministry, or to join our daily Bible reading plan. We're out of time for today, but be sure to join us again next time for another Transforming Word.